Hey, Christian. Hey, Anna. All right. That's a lot of energy. <laughs> well, I'm excited because we have a really amazing episode today. It is our 2020 wrap-up episode where we get to talk about all the amazing product trends. But I should say it's not going to be all the amazing product trends. If it were, this would be like a two or three hour podcast. We're still going to keep it at a reasonable time. And to keep us at a reasonable time, we have a very special guest because two is fun, but three is a party. So we have Ellie McCandless, who is usually on the other side of our virtual studio, but she manages the Better Product community. A lot of you listeners may have even interacted with her by email, but she's going to join us to help us uh, wrap up 2020. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you, guys. Excited to be on this side of the mic. Usually I'm working behind the scenes, but I am coming on the show today to be the interviewer with Christian and Anna. I sent an email to our community asking them what trends they've seen in 2020 in product and kind of what they're paying attention to going into 2021. And I got some great responses, but figured I should hear your answers too. To start, I know we're not out of the woods just yet, but how do you think 2020 has affected the digital product space? Well, for a while, we, and I, and, and I, I think on this show, on this episode, like we could easily talk about the role that COVID's had in remote work. And I think all that's really relevant. I'm going to try to find you know something out of there that's a little more permanent because I think at some point when things you know get get going and people can go back into the office, however that is, not five days a week, there has to be something that comes out of this year from a product lens that I think will sort of like be true even in that in that different lens. You know, earlier in the year, around oh gosh, when was it? like April we started doing that better product weekly to just stay in touch with what people are doing on a weekly basis. And it was like the opposite of trends. It was just like, what are you trying right now? Um, But if I reflect back on that, I think that, you know, one of the big things that's sticking out and we've covered it on like two separate series is, is product led growth and anything that's almost related to that. So what we heard during, you know, when COVID was, was, was really hammering businesses in the spring was, customer support, customer service, like, you know, figuring that out. You, we heard a lot of people doing free trials that might not have been doing them otherwise. I think that was going to happen anyway, but it accelerated that because you had people that weren't able to pay. So it was like, all right, let's just do a free trial. So I think, and that's tied to product-led growth. So now we see a lot of those same companies that were starting to do it, figure out, okay, when the 90 days is up, how do we convert them to paying users and things like that? So I think that product-led growth is one of the big overarching things. But Anna, do you, I don't know, do you think, first of all, I don't know if you would agree with that or if you would, like what about that, you know, sort of trend do you think like kind of sticks out to you? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's an interesting way to think about product-led growth as a as a response to, I think it's also a response to not being able to, you know, go to the usual conventions and have your sales team you know, be in person. So I think it maybe it, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it forced people to kind of engage in product led growth, but I think it, it allowed people to kind of maybe execute tactics that they weren't ready to do in a way that they, that, that just made it easier and faster. But yeah, I think that, that was a, I think it was a big issue we were talking about in the, in the early summer was, all right, how do you convert these people now? When does that make sense? And that is one of the biggest challenges of product-led growth is giving people a taste of the product, showing, letting them see the value and then actually converting them. So yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe it wasn't specifically product-led growth, but like these tactics were so relevant at that time that people were trying them out. And it's interesting too, because you guys had been talking about product-led growth before 2020. I mean, it was a trend you guys were watching anyways, but 
when, when we used to talk about it, you would mention it in a B2C space, but it seems like 2020, especially this year, any company, any industry, any size has been looking at product-led growth as an opportunity. Yeah, I think this is just a total speculation on my part, but um, PLG before the year wasn't, not everybody knew it. And still, there's actually a lot of people that aren't familiar with it yet. You know, from the design community, I can tell you, I still talk to a lot of designers that don't know anything about it, which is funny because design is so integral to product-led growth. Like you can't actually have a PLG strategy if you skimp on design. You need it to handle onboarding. You need to handle, make it easier to upgrade or to get support, all of those things. But I think that because it wasn't well known, one of the things that 2020 did was like speed up the understanding of what PLG is. So think about how many people started having to use Zoom or having to use Slack or similar thing. A lot of these like digital tools that were all like PLG first. And so I think a lot of people may have gotten to experience it firsthand. And now what you're probably gonna see is a lot more people are gonna start saying like, I want it to be like Zoom or I want it to grow like Slack, which we were hearing a little bit from some people before the year, but now you're hearing a lot more people say it because they actually experienced what the power of PLG is from their own usage, like for their own team, for their own company, when they had to go digital and like quickly ramp up on all these digital tools that they didn't really need to before. I think a lot of people, maybe whether they realize it or not, understand PLG, even if they can't articulate it. And now it may be more relevant, like, oh, I think we could do this free trial the way that so-and-so did it in our own work. That's a really good point. It's like PLG got personal for a lot of people. It's kind of been, I think PLG has always been an idea, wrapping up tactics that people have always done. Again, like these are not new ideas, but that, that is interesting to think that people probably did experience it in some tool they used for the first time to get going. I mean, I don't know how many different tools I've tried out this year just to get to just to try to replicate something that we couldn't do in person anymore, whether that be some kind of event or like even using like we use this tool called Mentimeter to run like a fun trivia we did. I mean, there's been so there's been such an uptick of the amount of tools that I have needed to use this year to kind of just accomplish the things that I needed to accomplish that it is really it is like the year of like PLG getting personal, I think. Yeah. And companies maybe not even knowing that they're doing product led growth when they're actually doing it. Yeah, I think mine was was Strava because I was, you know, big into the gym and I was using an app called Fitbot at the gym and I still use it at home, but I wanted to get outside, you know, when especially when we were like in quarantine. And so I started using Strava to just like help motivate me to run. And they're like, maybe this is bad. And I think we mentioned this too, um, uh, with Laura Nunnery when she was still at Strava on the podcast this year, where like I upgraded Strava without even really realizing it. It was like so seamless. And so as we were working with more clients towards the end of this year, explaining it, and I'm like, you need to make it more like Strava. And then I'm thinking like, how did Strava get me? What went, what happened there? And I'd start working backwards and I'm like, oh, I see what happened. So to your point, Anna, it was almost like a theory or an idea. And there's a few people practicing it. And then you experience it and you start thinking like, how did that happen to me? How did I like start buying this tool without talking to a salesperson, without like vetting it, without calling customer success, things like that. Product-led growth got you. It got me. You guys have kind of been getting at this, but I wanted to dig into a little bit more with, with your points on PLG, but 2020 has had unique challenges that might not apply, but how do you think product has been permanently changed through everything that's happened this year? 
Well, I'll I'll piggyback off something you know Anna alluded to, and something you do a lot of Ellie, which is which is community. A, another thing that we were covering that w- when did we cover the community? Wasn't that in 2019? Yeah, first time. Yeah, and and we did that, and we we talked to uh, you know Adam Fry Pierce with Envision, and I know you've been connected, and he was on our Better Product Speaker Series. And then that just got bigger because in-person events, I think if you think about the digital community tools, you can almost think like in-person would be a crutch for those who didn't want to dive into digital tools, which is funny because I think usually tools become a crutch, but now it flipped. So I think if you ask like, what's a more like permanent change, I think the shift to communities has really, I wouldn't say it's a new trend. It was in 2019 as well, but it's almost like it got a stronger foothold because we've all been thrust in the position where to Anna's point, we can't have those trade shows, these other like really socially enriching activities to build like fandom around our product uh, that, that, that didn't happen. And so we had circle, which is a tool for building communities. Whereas before people were like doing it on Slack or other things that weren't necessarily meant for that circle is like one of the first that's like form fit to build a community from the jump. Then we had, Leon on our show, which I did an an AMA through Leon's product community called Humans using the Circle app. So we've come full circle. So anyway, so I think we got to see that trend like really like lock in, I think because we were forced to go digital in so many other ways. I think the other thing that's really related to community this year, if I were to look at I think a big trend is like the the unbundling of social media. I think we're seeing a lot of people I mean, I think this disillusionment has been building for a long time, but I think with the, you know, with the documentary, uh, the, the, the social dilemma, I think people are are leaving social media. I think there's this great unbundling that's happening and people are looking to connect with their kind of these more niche groups. And I think one place we we heard a lot about that is with Kel Rakowski from Lex. I mean, she is literally building an app that is, I mean, completely funded by the community, the the queer, non-binary, trans uh, women community. And it's, you know, she is looking to kind of, you know, go beyond just kind of offering dating, but offering everything for that community. And I think we're going to see even more of that, more of these like very specific communities kind of rise up because we're, we're breaking away from from just these like, you know, these very general places. It's going to be much more kind of focused on identity and, and goals and, and the things that people want to accomplish. I'm glad you brought that up, Anne. I think it's a really good point. It's like, you know, my, my background, like in college was informatics. We had to learn about like the history of the computer and all that in the, in, in the internet and HTML. And it's like, as you're talking, I'm realizing, you know, part of what I feel like is almost happening is like some of the promise of what technology was supposed to give, which is like community and, you know, authenticity might be coming to life now. And you, you're totally right. I think why we wanted to talk to Lex was that they really captured what they wanted to be in an app in such a different way. Didn't they start on on Instagram as an account? Yeah. Yeah. It was just called personals. Yeah. So who, you know, thinks to start something like that? Like how does an app start on Instagram? Well, because it was all about identity and representation and things like that. And so even if you shift away from the consumer space, we see that too. Emily St. Dennis, who with the Female Founders Fund talked about that. Anna, you're better at remembering quotes, but didn't she say on there, as she mentioned somebody, what was the quote she talked about? It was either her that said or referencing. Yeah, no, it was her. It was a good brand will let you punch above your weight, which I say now to people constantly and never say that it came from Emily, but it did. And and it's like, it's easy for people, I think, even to listen to the show and go look up Lex and be like, ah, it's Lex, it's a dating app. It's, it's really different. It's not who we are. 
But then if you look at like companies like Robinhood, the, the trading app, they've always gone against the grain. And I think it was earlier this year, they, they updated their brand. And I don't want to get to design details, but they updated their color scheme to like, I don't just like really odd greens and yellows that were just never seen in stock apps. But what you felt was it was all distinctly Robinhood. And what it allowed Robinhood to do is like really put themselves in the product itself. And yes, that's a consumer-based app, but it's another example of something where bringing the identity to the table, even going back to Leon um, with Brian Smith. I mean, we had him on the podcast to talk about Leon. And if you follow him on LinkedIn, you'll see that he's blunt. He uses curse words on LinkedIn, but he, yeah, right. Gasp, right. But that's different. Like it, it, you know, obviously I joke about it, but you know, a CEO, you know, using that language or talking in these blunt ways is different. And it's not that it's different for different sake. It's he's trying to capture who he is, who the company is and like bring that through in the product. So anyway, sorry, there's a little bit of rant, but I feel like, and you hit on something big, I think for 2021, more identity and product, but I feel like there's challenges there too. I want to say one more thing about the identity and products because I think it's, you know, we it started with these niche communities. And I think Lex is so interesting because it did start as a dating platform, but really what it, it built a community out of it, that there were queer people, queer women, trans women, non-binary women coming to this, you know, saying, I, you know, I'm, I want to be, I want to like participate in this community, but not so necessarily in a dating format. I just want to start a book club. I just want to find someone to play tennis with. And, and that's really how Lex grew to be what it was. But I think it, it got to something you were just talking about. It like manifested in this like brand, this, this different, unusual, like really gritty brand. Like Lex has such a distinct brand. And I think you could say the same thing about, uh, Leon. I think you can say the same thing about a couple of the other, you know, companies that I think we talked about with Emily St. Dennis, like brands have just gotten so different this year. And I think it is an outpouring of people trying to find that community and, and be different, um, but different authentically. <laughs> with everything that's happened with what you guys are talking about with, you know, this authenticity and people leaning into their unique brands. I mean, how do you think that's going to translate to product in 2021? I think one thing that we should all be keeping an eye on. I mean, we talked about it quite a bit with Gabrielle Guthrie. It's this idea of design ethics or product ethics. And I think that we are seeing that again with this, everything that's going on with Facebook, everything, I mean, you know, the huge antitrust lawsuit that's going on with them right now. I think product teams are going to be held more responsible for the things that they put into the world. And I think that it's going to, you know, have people rethinking, you know, why are we growing at all costs? What, what metrics are we driving? Why do we want people in our app? Why are we building these addictive, you know, potentially destructive products? And I think people stepping back and saying, you know, why, why are we, why are we growing at all costs? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? I think people are going to be like rethinking this. And, and instead of being like, how do we want people to interact with what we do in a really healthy way, in a really productive way? And I think product teams are going to be a lot more thoughtful about that. And I think they're going to be held responsible. I think product teams have to be responsible for the things they put into the world. And this idea of unintended consequences, I think that that excuse is not going to fly in 2021. I think because we all can understand the destructive power of addictive technology. You're also going to see more ranting by me and Anna about the value of a liberal arts degree, because this is what it teaches you. Just kidding. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're right, Anna. I, I think that we could have a, a whole podcast series just about this aspect because so many things came out. I think the fact that 2020 was also a presidential election year during the, the most polarizing election in history 
also helped like bring that to the foray. So like on some extreme examples this year, we had uh, the CEO of Expensify, you know, emailing their client base, talking about their role in voting, right? And I got into some arguments with people on that, but I'm not going to debate whether the act was right, right or wrong, but I think what's important to see there is that there was a reason they that that, that product felt the need to speak out. That authenticity is is coming to the fore. So like you know what they stand for. Now the decision to do it may not be for everybody, but at some point you look at that and think if you're a head of product, you're a CEO, you start thinking what's my role. You know during the Black Lives Matter when that really started taking out, even at Innovate Map, we determined like what's our role and we decided we had to say something. Other things we may decide not to say something, and so. Expensify was really polarizing, not just for the political reasons, but for people just saying like, this isn't your business to do that. And that's where I, I think I disagree because I think what you're going to see are more people at least speaking out on that. On the flip side, well, I don't know if it's the flip side, but the inverse, but on the same token, you had uh, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase. You were talking about that uh, the other day, Anna. That was a little bit different though. Yeah, I mean, I think his his whole stance was like, we are not going to take a stance on any political, we're here to do this really specific thing. And I mean, we talked about this too, like that's a stance to say you're not going to take a stance. I mean, my God, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, that in and of itself is is a huge, I mean, that that is a huge, a huge thing. I think we're going to see the idea that technology is a neutral thing that exists in the world, I think that idea is passed. I think people understand that algorithms are built by people, products are built by people, biases get built into these products. And we understand that when you put a product vision into the world, you're, you are, you are influencing it in, in certain specific ways and you have to be held responsible for the ways that that product exists and works and affects people. And I think that's just only going to get stronger. And I think going back to what you said, I think the Black Lives Matter that really brought forward the idea of diversity in tech, not just as like, oh, great, we got to have diversity. Say it's a literal ethical issue to have diverse, diverse product teams building product because otherwise there are these terrible un unintended consequences. And, and there, and there, what there might be anyway. We might have very diverse teams and there might be consequences, but the more different people from different backgrounds with different perspectives you can get in a room, ideally the less bad outcomes you're going to have. I think you guys are kind of hitting on it from the, the building the product itself, but something that you guys had talked to a couple of design leaders is the influential power that designers have to communicate and to influence and to get people to feel um, and react a certain way. And uh, Steve, a member of our community, um, emailed me and, you know, kind of on the same vein, but that this year especially has shown that designers are on the hook to ask the questions of the intentions and the implications of the work they do. And, you know, it's not a new thing necessarily, but whether it's the social dilemma or all of these just different social forces are putting designers too on the hook of, you know, what decisions or implications do my, does my work have? Well, thankfully, if you go to design school, they teach you that a good design school, but yes, you're right. I actually wrote an article on Modus, on, on Medium, a few years ago, after I read Thomas Friedman's book, Thank You for Being Late, um, which is basically just about the acceleration of technology and its impacts. We saw a really positive impact this year by getting a vaccine to a virus in under a year, uh, when most people said we'd be lucky to get it in four years. That's technology's power. But designers in SaaS, even you know B2C, and what, what he talked about and Thomas Friedman talked about, the scale that you have, the reach that you have is almost faster and beyond 
anything that us humans can even conceive of. So to Deanna's point, if you don't think about what your goals are, what is successful use? What is success for your product? If all you say is just, we just want people using it all the time. We can't live without it. You have to do better than that because the reality is your technology can scale beyond you any comprehension. And you see extreme versions of that with how Facebook has gotten out of hand in a lot of ways. And you can see other ways how it gets out of hand, like Zoom, when their head of product issues an apology for an outage. Why? Like, why are they doing it? If you get an outage from most other services, you get a technical error that's just like, sorry, our servers are down. They did it because they understood the impact it was having on you know virtual schools that most businesses were relying on it to even function. And so the head of product took it upon themselves to actually speak on something like that. So I think you'll see more of that too, even if it's not political or social, but even just like your acknowledgement of the impact that your product has and building that relationship with people, um, but also being aware of your technology's impact will be super critical going forward. One more question for you guys, you know, putting you on the spot. And I know you love every interview and every guest all the time, but what was your favorite interview this year? My favorite interview was with Kel Rakowski from Lex. I know that that is wow. what everyone expected me to say. I know, I know. But You're I, basic. I will say it because <laughs> I'm so basic, but <laughs> I I love the idea of Lex. I love the community. I love that how she built it, that it was just solving this like it's like this it's it's like she solved a need that like did, she didn't really know existed and then it just grew into this thing and she had never heard of venture funding. So she did a Kickstarter. And I mean, I love the background of it. I think the brand is amazing. I love that how she's kind of built the team. I love it's like rooted in this like deep queer history that I think is so fascinating. She is fascinating. The story is fascinating. I love the product. So I would say, cause just cause I'm fangirling, that's probably one I would say. I mean, they're again, they're all great for sure but that was a really good one for me. Yeah, I get what you're saying too, Anna. I think that's what I, I saw in Lex on the, on the outside was just, I mean, a lot. Of, and I love what you said too about, you know, not knowing about fundraising. I do love stories where like, somebody doesn't know any better. Like some of the like best stories are when somebody didn't know any better about something. And so they just- like the, the drive, the determination is there to just figure it out, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, favorites. It's tough to pick a few. I'm, I'm going through my head and there's like a couple ones I like, um, for different reasons. I love Gabrielle Guthrie. I, I know Anna would agree with me too, because she's our people, you know, she's a, she's a designer too. And I think we, we love that conversation, um, a lot. And I think that she covered some like deeper topics that the show hasn't covered kind of like Kelly Jones did from Allos and 68 Capital both covered some like really deep, like social issues. And that was really nice to like, think that we can cover those things on the, on the podcast that are not just, you know, just about the product you know, function. My favorite like fanboy one would be Alistair Simpson. I followed him just when he was at Atlassian and then Dropbox and, and Dropbox and just a fan of in general. So that, that was a really great one. So if I think about the, the one that like pointed something out to me that had a concept that I had not thought about was Yao Anning talking about Malomo because he was talking about the idea of, of how brands use e-commerce rather than in how Amazon almost like de-brands. It's like for the, for the non-brand brands. And there was just something that really switched in my brain thinking about the impact of brands, not even for just Malomo, but Malomo, his product works, you know, to enhance the like shipping tracking 
but he sells to like the marketing team of e-com and not the operational logistics team because it wasn't about like how fast is it getting through it was about creating a better experience and so that shift in lens that he had to not see it as a like people want to know where my package is at and see it more as like people want to get excited about their package i love when somebody has a different lens on a problem space like that and and so he kind of like changed my my view so Yes, my my other favorite interview of the year was Jim Cansu, I think, from from Duolingo. That was a, a talk about learning new concepts and like thinking about things in a different way. I was just very very inspired by kind of hearing his story, and, and I think the kind of the vision of Duolingo and kind of how they the idea that they will never charge for access to language education. I think for me was just foundationally. It's just so fascinating. That, I mean, that is what they do. That is their core. That is what they are best at. But they will never charge money for that because their goal is to let just everybody should learn another language. It's like they're a great mission in the world. So kind of how they monetize in other ways, it, like that that kind of concept and idea has really stuck with me. And I think something I'll kind of carry for a really long time. And so I, I, I just, I love that. Great perspective. Another really good interview. Well, you guys are not going to be able to get me off the show without having my chance to plug the community. So, well, it's okay because communities are the thing, Ellie. So go ahead and talk about communities. We just, you just heard it here. That's like the biggest trend. So go ahead. So basically, go make sure if you haven't already sign up for the community. We got a lot of fun things coming in 2021, getting creative with maybe some different types of virtual events, different ways to meet people from wherever you are across the country and get your chance to keep elevating your product skills. So thank you guys for letting me come on here and pick your brains. It was fun. Your favorite phrase. Anytime, anytime, Ellie. I love having you. We, you know, it's, it's nice not to have to ask the questions for once, but it is hard to give the answers. So you, I, I really, it's a good exercise in empathy. Yes, yeah. you guys now understand your guests so much better. Yeah, I do. I, I, do. I empathize with them more deeply than I did before. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show this week. If you're looking for more resources on how to design, build, market, and sell better products, then head over to betterproduct.community to join, well, the community. And as always, we're curious, what does better product mean to you? Shoot us an email at podcasts at innovatemap.com.